Uh, Matt Rowley, your host here. I've got uh, a cast from around the globe. Um, just down the road, I don't even know, where are you these days, Hugh? Um, I'm in Maroubra at the moment, actually, the uh, beautiful um, beachside suburb. Green and Gold um, Rugby's very own bra boy. Exactly. It's, and, and it fits my sort of bad boy image that I try and cultivate on the site. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it really is no surprise, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, good, good to be joining... Uh, Pete, the podcast back after a few weeks had a had a bit of a uh, few weeks off, so good to come back refreshed. Good one, mate. Well, good to have you back. And then from the other side of the globe, uh, I've got Jamie Miller, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Matt. How you doing? Very well. Uh, you threatened earlier on that you might have to uh, run one of these at 8:30 p.m. your time. What time is it there at the moment? Uh, it's just climbing up to breakfast time. It's uh, getting me up early, keeping me healthy. Oh, good. All right. Well, look. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you lot in academia, you got academia. You got no other reason to get up. You know, probably getting up about midday. Eh? Obviously, yeah, yeah. That's part of the job description. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, we've got plenty to talk about, so let's pile straight in. Top of the list has got to be that's it. No more warm-ups. Next match is going to be um, against Fiji, Fiji in a couple of weeks' time for the uh, Rugby World Cup. Uh, so where do we stand? Obviously, last weekend gave us our last hints at you know what the form is and who's going to be where. Um, let's maybe just start off with giving a few reactions to the game and what we thought we could take away from it. So, uh, Jamie, what did you think? What did you take away from the match? Was did it did it tell us much? I'm not sure that it did. Um, I mean, there were definitely some pluses. Uh, you know, a handful of. The players, the dirt trackers, the second stringers played really well. Um, and we looked really good whenever the ball was tight. Maul's scrums were really impressive across the 80 minutes. Uh, and that's good because we need to be doing that. But overall, I just didn't feel like I had a lot of clarity at the end of the end of the game about where we were going and how we were going to be playing at the World Cup. It wasn't inspiring. It didn't make me feel very good. Okay. Yeah, what I mean, do you think, you? Yeah, look... I agree to a point. I think it's it's tough going in um, with these sort of games and, and knowing what our expectations are and actually what's a pass mark and, and what's a fail. You know, I feel like if we'd have come out and put 80 points on, on the USA, we would have gone, oh, well, you know, that's a minnow team and, you know, we're not sure how much you can take away playing against weak opposition. But actually, I thought USA fronted up really well and in that first half, you know, at 14-13, I think, or 14-10, the halftime score, um, you know, it, it was a really valid scoreline and a really close game, and it gave us a good test. And the fact that we came away in that second 40, um, I think, was, was, a, was a positive. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure how many, what we could have ever learned from this game, you know, what really could have been decided considering we were playing a second-string team. And, you know, there, um, the few starters that, that probably played, I thought, did okay, and no one had an outright shocker. So, yeah, look... Uh, I don't know if it really changes the overall picture, but um, it, it was certainly nice, a nice exercise. 
Yeah, I mean, just to recap a little bit, obviously, uh, we were playing USA in uh, in Chicago. Uh, at halftime, like you said, Hugh, was 14-10, and I think it ended up at 47-10. Uh, so it was really in the second half that we kind of broke away. Uh, the team, I think most people would say it was pretty clearly the Dirt Trackers, um, and maybe the only question mark was around the halfback pairing. Uh, so we'll, let's talk. Let's get into a little bit more detail then, maybe about some of the players. Uh, Jamie, who, who stood out for you as as having a, a great game? I thought I thought there were three guys on the park who looked really good. Uh, one of them was Tatafu Plotter now, who I think really reminded us of just how physical and awesome and direct he can be. I mean, that was a that was a highlight reel performance for him, rolling back the years. That was very encouraging to see since apparently he's going to be playing a lot in the World Cup. Um, Sean McMahon, the action junkie, just involved in everything. I mean, the guy's just got such a big future in this game. Um, and Kirtley at 15, um, not the most loved man amongst the green and gold rugby community, but looked super safe under the high ball, which is something that we cannot say has historically been true of him. So those were the three for me. What do you reckon, Hugh? Um, yeah, look, Pilota now was my standout. I, I agree. I, I think it was a really commanding performance and um, just a performance that we needed out of him in that, in that team to give us some punch around the fringes. Um, and I've got to say, I mean, if he can keep this form up, and it's, it's a big if, but it's, it's good to have some pressure on Stephen Moore. Um, not that I'm saying that I, I would drop Stephen Moore for Pilotta now, but if Pilotta now puts in those sort of performances and starts making more, you know, really push himself and, and asking questions of Michael Checker, that, I think that can only be a good thing because Steve Moore's been a bit out of form so far this year. Um, I, I'll give a shout-out to Bernard Foley. He's copped some flack on, on um, some of our uh, posts this week, but uh, I, I thought he was pretty good, kept in control, uh, his place kicking was was really good and, and noteworthy. From uh, I think he kicked six from seven or seven from eight, and you know not a lot of them were easy. Uh, and I thought he kept control of the game pretty well. The USA were rushing up pretty fast outside, so we had to keep it tight. Uh, probably lost our way for twenty minutes at the end of the first half there, but um, I don't know. I thought he Bernard Foley probably put in the performance he needed to, and he set up two or three of our tries there. So um, as usual with him, it's not heroics, it's not real flashy play. It's it's just uh, keeping the direction of the team pretty solid. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say uh, he gets the thumbs up from uh, from Saturday as well. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you're not a barbecue footy fan, uh, he doesn't seem to light your fire. So he does seem to divide the fans somewhat. But, you know, if you look at his results, he seems to be there when we win, uh, which, is a, which, which is a nice stat to have. And it was good to see, as Hugh says, the goal kicking all coming back. I think that that one miss he had was right at the end. Uh, up until then, he had a perfect record. Um, and the whole time I was sitting there thinking, just how long is it before American football teams realise that rugby kickers can kick it from a 45-degree angle and might be a better investment than these Muppets who just kick it from straight ahead every week for uh, <laughs> for a couple of million dollars. I mean, it's amazing. I, I'd also like to give a really, really sincere shout-out to the commentators on NBC American TV. They were the real stars of the occasion uh, for me. The American television commentators, absolutely priceless. Well, I um, think... Well, we, we didn't get them, so we, you know... But I, I, oh. hear, I hear they were uh, maybe just a tad biased. Uh, it, it wasn't the bias. No, no, they were full of praise for the Wallabies and right. uh, very very honest about the limitations of the Americans. Um, it was more the language 
um, just borrowing from every possible sporting context context uh, to describe different rugby phenomena. Um, but the best bit was when they were talking about how Michael Checker would be upset with something, and they described him as well-known as a mild-mannered, philosophical kind of guy. <laughs> um, I mean, just, I mean you, you were pretty sure they didn't know what they were talking about, and then they removed all doubt. So. <laughs> <laughs> but look, let's, let's talk about, I mean, I guess probably the man of the match, I think, was clearly Sean McMahon. Um, and if it was an audition for who was going to take that bench spot, he certainly put his hand up. By contrast, uh, contrast I think... Uh, you know, uh, Cliffy Parley really, you know, he looked uh, really underdone uh, and you wonder how he's going to fulfil his role as kind of, you know, putting in a, a solid half. I'm, I'm usually a, a Cliffy defender in that I think a lot of what he does goes unseen, but he just looked well off the pace. But coming back to Sean McMahon for a minute, um, Hugh, how does he fit in though? I mean, he, he had a brilliant match, um, you know, both in, he ran the 70 metres, I couldn't find the stats around his tackles, but he was involved in every other tackle by the, by the looks of thing, and they were aggressive. Um, you know, he was just absolutely everywhere. How does he fit in? Yeah, unfortunately, he doesn't. I don't think into the into the Wallaby top fifteen setup. I mean, he's just cursed with being behind Pocock and Hooper, um, and you know, there's you can't really shoehorn him in anywhere else. Either we play the Pooper to start and and. Uh, Scotty Fardy at six. Um, I can't see a spot on the bench for him there, really, because you probably need to keep that line out, that line out player on the side of the scrum there. Um, and then we'll, or, or we'll either start Hooper or Pocock and have the other one coming off the bench. Unfortunately, it seems like he'll just have to wait on an injury. I've got big wraps on him. He could play six, you know, he could play seven, he could probably play eight. But given you know the fact that we're going to have to play Hooper and Pocock. For a lot of the, you know, you think for a lot of our big games, um, he, he probably doesn't quite, you know, he, he's not bad in the lineouts, McMahon, but he probably isn't quite good enough uh, to fill what we'd need to com- to complete that back row. So the McMahon Pooper combination is probably one that we'll never see. Even though I'd love to see it because it would be incredible to see these guys just work off one another. Yeah, Jamie, can can you see anything different? No, I largely agree with that. I think. I think he's right, McMahon. He's he's basically looks like where rugby is going, sort of four or five years from now. That versatility, that that ability to not just do one or two things really well, but to sort of play across the positions and do five or six things really well. I mean, if I was the Waratahs head management, I'd be poaching him now and signing him to a four-year contract. I mean, he's just superb. He can fill into any hole in your back row, like just amazing. Yeah, he was he was incredibly impressive in that game. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully we see more. You've got to re- remind ourselves how young he is. I think he's only still 20 or something, isn't he? Something like that. Something yeah. really silly. Well, yeah. I think it was like 19 last year when he was making his debut for the Wallabies, and he uh, did really well. I think it was the Barbarians game and then got a bit swallowed up. But, um, you know, it's a yeah. year on, and, uh, you know, he, he's he's really powering on. So, yeah, so I'm, I think, not, I'm sure we'll I see him that, around. I think that means he couldn't have a drink after the America match. <laughs> yeah. Not the, not legally. Um, yeah, and it's pretty amazing, you know, you kind of think just in the same way that I think the uh, pooper works so well. I mean, you know, you could imagine him and Gil um, having that same sort of combination of a of a scavenger plus that sort of, uh, you know, uh, dynamo. So, I mean, I think if those 
you know, any other team would probably be happy to get that in there as a combination, but they just can't make it. Um, I think one of the things I just wanted to throw out there as well was uh, it looks like the Wallabies are definitely really focusing on the scrum. The scrum was a real positive. I realised it was the USA. You had a bunch of guys in there, let's be honest, can't make a super rugby team. Um, but uh, they still play international rugby, and, and, the, and the scrum seemed to be a really, really uh, a strong focus for the Wallabies. Were, were you impressed, you? Yeah, very um, we're making a habit of being dominant, which is which is something that I haven't seen ever for the Wallabies, to be brutally honest. I mean, to see us um, you come through every game so far this year with periods of dominance, maybe not the whole game, but certainly periods of dominance, um, is, is something that really augurs well. And, you know, previously we've been optimistic about our scrum before the wheels come off at Twickenham, but... Um, you've got to think we're, we're pretty well placed and considering that was, you know, our, you would say our B front row too with Holmes and Slipper, yeah. um, even though across the team they're all accomplished scrummages. But um, yeah, again, really, that was a real positive. Yeah, and, and that the scrum and generally in the set piece, Jamie, were you liking what you're seeing considering it was our, our last run out? Yeah, I was. Um, I think our backup props, as it were, are almost interchangeable with our first string props. You know, you can give me any two of that combination and they, those two have scrummed well this year and in a dominant scrum at some stage. It's looking good. The line-out is not looking good. Um, the line-out is looking very shaky, I would say, and I really, really hope they're doing a lot of practice and trying a lot of different things and it's, it's yeah, I'm not feeling very confident when we go to line-out time. Which is new. There seems to be a lot of conversation. As soon as um, you know uh, Rob Simmons has to come off the ground, uh, I saw him coming off, and I think it was Dean Mum walking on, and there was just a lot of chat going on. It seemed like you know, oh, here's the lineout calls, by the way, mate. I, I, you know, I'm sure it wasn't that, but it kind of felt a bit that way. I think uh, Taft's throwing, uh, Taft's throwing, still not 100%. Um, I got to say, and I think. Uh, was it Scott Co even had a throw which we lost, although they didn't cover the coverage didn't pick it up very well. So I've got to agree with you. There's still I've got a few question marks around that. Whereas with the scrum, we seem to be look you know really trying to make a statement. Um, I think there's a very concerted appeal there to try and get into the consciousness of referees. Um, we'll I get you know we'll see in a few weeks' time uh, whether that's paid off or not. Um, and I think it's working. I mean I think it's really worth noting that in all these scrum dominance matches we've had this year and that it's been it's been a real succession it hasn't been just a one-off very rarely has our front row been penalized for illegal scrummaging that yeah. that hasn't been a thing that's been happening either we've had the dominance or we haven't but it's not as though we've had a guy penalized off the park for boring in or anything like that that hasn't happened so i think we we are getting into referees heads in the best possible way at the right time yeah, and it's not for that. It was always repeated collapsing, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> was, was oh, one. God. Um, I'm having nightmares over here. I yeah. It's flashbacks. It's we, post-traumatic sorry. stress. So we, we've managed to, we've managed to uh, bury that thought for a while. I'll just bring it yeah. back up there. So, look, let, let's finish off on uh, where we are with the Wallabies and just talk a little bit about maybe, you know, a, a selection um, that you th- guys think has been, you know, uh, put to bed. So something that you think's nailed. Um you know, just maybe recently over the last couple of tests and then maybe one that you think is still a big question mark. So, Hugh, have you got, you know, one of each of those that you could talk us through, something you think's put to bed and something that's still, what the hell? It's it's hard to know because I think 
I mean, uh, the obvious ones that are nailed down, there's still a lot of positions where I don't even know what, what Michael Checker thinks because of that second Bledisloe where we thought we'd see the best side, but he kind of tipped it on its head again. Mm. And we've seen it tipped on its head again. So we've had no continuity. So I suppose if I was going to say a position that I think has been nailed down is I think Bernard Foley will start at 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he's probably showed enough uh, to uh, keep that starting spot uh, away from Quade Cooper, I'd say. It's a close-run thing, but I think the, the Foley's solid game and, and that goal-kicking is really going to get him over the line. Um, something that I think is, is still up in the air, um, I'll probably go with the second row. I, I don't know across the board who we'll see. I think each of Simmons, Douglas, Mum and Skelton have claims um, and have looked good in, in patches. I think probably we'll see Rob Simmons take one of those spots. The second one, though, seems to me to be really open. Um, I, I'd probably go with Dean Mum because I think he's shown a lot off the bench. But um, who knows? Who knows what, what Michael Check is thinking there? And um, it's one of a few positions where I think there's still some um, discussions to be had. Mm. And Jamie, what about you? You got, you got one of each? Yeah, I think... In the uh, in the locked in category, I think you got to go with either Matt Giddo at twelve or David Pocock in the back row. I think this year, you know, it's still only just a handful of tests. Both of those guys have shown that they're going to be foundation stones of a successful cup campaign this year for us. If they're there, that's going to be great. If they're not, it, we're significantly weaker for it. I'm very worried about what's going on at the back of the scrum with Pocock precisely because of that second Bledisloe. I can't work out why we've taken Cliffy Palo and Ben McCalman unless Checker still thinks that the Pocock-Hooper combination is not a starter, is not an 80-minute gambit. Mm. And I really think that they need to be. I think when they go, those guys work together, we look so dangerous. Opposition coaches look terrified, I think, when they see Pocock uh, running around the field. Um and that's for good reason. Um, I think still out for me is the halves. I don't, I can't see much clarity in the halves. I could see Checker picking almost any combination, and I could rationalise it to myself. Um, and if you think about it, all of the teams that have won the World Cup have had world-class halves. I mean, you know, we're talking about Gregan and Larkham. We're talking about Liner and Far Jones. Um, Stransky and Van der Vestheisen, Johnny Wilkinson, Fury Dupree. I mean, you just don't win a World Cup without having truly, truly awesome halves and a good halves combination. And I'm just not sure that we have either of those things right now. I'm not sure we have individuals who are playing at the peak of their game and are really, really good. And I'm definitely not sure that we have a class combination. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in on there. I think, um, well, I probably don't disagree with anything you just said around the halves except that look you know check a second guessing is a dangerous game but my sense there is the way that it's falling out is i agree with you that we're talking about Gitto at 12 so if you talk about Gitto at 12 to start with at least then you got to think about and then i also think um between cooper and foley um even if you don't think foley's played fantastically well you know cooper's had you know, two more meltdowns, um, you know, in the rugby championship um, against uh, the, the Kiwis, uh, getting himself sent off, and then the, the, then the whole game blew apart. Uh, he got himself sent off also against Argentina, 
and you know didn't have a great first half against South Africa and we only just managed to pull that one back so I don't know how but somehow people talk themselves into saying he's had a good run in I just really don't think he has at all and then even when you say that but Foley's played averagely we still managed to uh, beat the All Blacks or then he does really well here so I'm with Hugh and that I think Foley's probably nabbed that 10 jersey. And the reason why I, I think it would be as a starting jersey is because I think uh, Chex is looking at Tamua as a great cover and a finisher for either 10 or 12. So if one yeah. of those two guys took a knock, whereas Foley, neither Foley nor Cooper can really cover 12. So I think he's got himself uh, more flexibility there by holding Tamua back. And then in the in the halves, um, you know, look, I think uh, Will threw a bit of a spanner in the works with a an, an, a nice uh, sharp cameo for that second half, and I think that showed maybe how he'll be thought of, uh, which is that you know Phipps will come out, um, you know, in that in that first half, um, and tr- in, you know try and get the get the game moving, get the pace up, uh, and try and do to teams what we did to the US, and then maybe uh, when they're a little bit uh, you know, there's a few more holes around the rucks. Then you put, you have Will come on in the second half, um, and uh, that to me probably looks. So then you have these finishes of Genia and Tamua, who I think are really solid finishes. So, look, I don't disagree with you in that you'd much rather say, "Oh, look, it's a no no brainer. I've got my nine and my ten. They're world class. They need to play the whole game." But I think where Chex is trying to get to is some sort of a little structure there. And look, that's that's my reading of the ruins, I guess. Um, as, as, as best I can as best I can make it. Um, otherwise, around the team, uh, it feels like everything. Well, and I agree with you though, Hugh, around second row and maybe number eight. But you know, around prop, um, the wingers, fullback, we've probably got a pretty good idea. I felt on the weekend, no, on the wingers side, no one really put their hand up to dislodge anyone. Did anyone feel otherwise? I actually no. think the wingers was underwhelming. Mm. I, I thought the guys that had a real opportunity in that game to 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 win a spot were probably Spate and Tamain and um, probably Horn as well. Mm. Horn pro- didn't get the opportunities, but didn't really inject himself. Um, I thought Spate looked really below his best. He had some opportunities in space that he just you know normally you'd see him put the acceleration on and and clap through it, but he he really didn't seem to have that extra gear. Um, and Tamani, yeah, look, he, he um, scored a nice try there, but um, I, I don't know. I, I uh, yeah, just didn't didn't quite he didn't quite get it for me. I mean, a lot of a lot's been made of that the his missed tackle in the USA try. I mean, I think yeah. that's uh, you know forgivable, but just just generally around the, around the traps, I don't know. He just hasn't quite got. Did they didn't do enough to displace uh, Drew Mitchell? I don't think on that on that one wing spot. Mm. Jamie. I think um, I think for the big games, Checker will go with what he knows. He'll go with Ashley Cooper and Horn. Actually, I think. Yeah. Um, I think the ability of those two guys to add in defence, uh, Ashley Cooper effectively defending in that thirteen slot where he pulled off a couple of great hits in Sydney, and Rob Horn actually just defending basically at inside centre and just munching people all day long. Um, I think is good. It's weird to include wingers for their defense but i think that's what's going to happen so okay yeah i mean it seemed to me henry spate maybe because he had 13 on his back he thought i'll just play a bit slower (laughs) um (laughs) but uh yeah there was a couple of weird moments like where he just didn't chase kicks and um you know you thought he he looked 
you thought he could have put the afterburners on, he didn't. I, I wonder if uh, there's something wrong with a hammy or a muscle there somewhere. Yep, agreed. Yeah. Okay. He hasn't he hasn't looked at his best basically for a few months, I'd say. No, no, it, it doesn't look like he's come back from that spell off particularly no. well. Um, well, that's a look. Uh, that's about it. Um, you know, next stop, uh, Rugby World Cup. Uh, you know, we'll be uh, aiming to try and cover that throughout uh, with regular podcasts uh, kind of week by week. And who knows if uh, things get really exciting, maybe even more than that, if, we, if we're if we still in. Um, uh, so, uh, look, you know, uh, stay tuned uh, throughout for more sort of uh, Wallaby updates. Um Let's move on now. We've got a, you know, a couple of little gems. Uh, we're going to talk. Well, look, let's maybe stay with the uh, Rugby World Cup theme here. Um, Jamie, you've been watching some of the other matches. They're in your t- they're in more your time zone than ours. Um, you know, what have you taken? What, what what have you seen? And what have you taken away from it? Um, almost none of the European countries are looking very good at the moment. Mm-hmm. Actually, to be perfectly frank, France look awful. I mean, uh, watching them play is exceptionally painful. Um, a very powerful scrum, and it's obvious that they're just going to focus on that relentlessly, but no sense of attacking structure, no sense of, of the players knowing what they're supposed to do. Um, and then they left Francois Tranduc out of their lineup, and he's basically the only 10 uh, who knows how to play anywhere else other than the pocket. So... France just just so depressing there. So they'll be the um, final then. <laughs> pardon? Yes, yeah, so they'll, they'll make they'll lose to Tonga and then make the final. Yeah. Um, England, you know, always keeping a bit of an eye on them. Um, they've looked a bit up and down. Um, they got really well handled by France a couple of weeks ago and then um, reversed the business at Twickenham against uh, Ireland last week and. You know, there's a lot there that we can look at, but certainly when I was looking at watching England play with that narrow, packed defensive alignment that they use, the first thing I thought about was that 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 very bizarre way that the Wallabies suddenly started going super wide, super early in the first matches of this season. You know, it, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to go wide early against, you know, New Zealand or the Springboks, but... I think it would against England. It almost looked like you'd you'd be developing a game plan to play around their compressed defence. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of that against England. They've got some big, slow forwards, and I think moving them around is going to be essential. Um, but anyway, that's England, and then there's Wales, and we all feel for Wales because they've lost two of their best players in the last 48 hours. Reese Webb and Lee Halfpenny won't be going to the World Cup, and I'd say that really damages their chances of making it out of the pool, but we wish them all well. We always want to see the best players at the best tournaments, and we won't be doing that. So, yeah. That was a shock with those guys. Yeah, shocking bad luck. And But what about um, Hugh's favourite team, Ireland? Um, they're mm. getting a lot of raps. I think, um, you know, up until recently, they were ranked pretty high, highly on the ladder. And what's happened with them? Um. Yeah, the wheel, the wheels kind of fell off for them uh, in Dublin, of all places, and against the Welsh. Um, Wales went over there and just dominated them. Um, Ireland looked really unable to create. Um, they're, they're a Joe Schmidt team. They're very overcoached. They're a template team. Uh, they love the set piece, and then they can go for multi-phase set plays where everyone goes in a certain direction. 
Um, I've played in England. I know how this goes. It's really boring. Um, but whenever that structure breaks down, the team has no idea what it's doing next. Um, and they're basically incredibly reliant on Sexton and Connor Murray staying fit. I'd say if one of those two guys goes down, Ireland's chances take a commensurate dip. If both of them go down with injury, there's no chance at all of going um, somewhere productive in this World Cup. Um, all of the play runs through those two guys, and the other guys are just fulfilling roles around them. Um, so I think they're going to be they're going to be very effective. Um, maybe not the most exciting team to watch. Mm. Well, I mean, I think uh, England's out of that bunch seem to be getting a lot of the raps, but mainly I think because of sort of you know the almost home ground advantage uh, sort of thing, and they seem to have taken a few scalps. Uh, a, a, a along the way, but otherwise, it's 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 just not sounding like there's um, a lot to be too afraid of. Yeah, I mean, the, the English have got a good squad. They've got a good team. Um, they've got quality in every position. That you know, their their squad on paper looks really good. It looks a lot better balanced than it has in the past. I mean, and that's a credit to the setup in English rugby. And that's the only nice thing I'm going to say about English rugby this year on the podcast. Yeah, let's leave it at that. Um, that's it. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, with that home ground advantage, they are going to be hard to beat, and that match still looms as the one where we really need to stand up. Everything becomes easier if we win that match. Yeah, indeed. All right, well, look, that's great. Thanks for that. Um, good to hear what's going on, and um, you never know. We might see if we can get some people to pull out some analysis between now and those uh, f- those first games. Um, but that's enough of the World Cup. The other rugby that's been going on, which has been throwing up some cracking games, Um and I really encourage anyone who can to watch, um, has been the NRC. And Hugh, uh, you've been following. Um, what's what's the lay of the land, mate? What's, what's going on with it? Oh, I mean, you're dead right, Matt. I mean, it is an absolute belter of a season in the NRC so far. Um, we're three rounds in and, and, you know, a couple of surprise packets, um, I suppose you'd say, um, at, at both ends of the table. So we've got... Uh, Brisbane City, the defending champions, really um, stamping their authority in the early weeks, um, and they're undefeated, along with the Sydney Stars, last year's cellar dwellers, um, who are, who are um, turning back the clock, some of their players. Old man Tommy Carter's up there, Dave Dennis. Um, I suppose he's not particularly old, but mm. um, and, and they found a few good youngsters in, in guys like Jake Gordon, um, guys like uh, Matt Phillip in the second row. Um, yeah, so they're, they're really turning it on, and... Um, I think the team, though, that uh, look like the team to beat are the Canberra Vikings, who um, really showed up and, and put some points on the uh, the Western Sydney Rams uh, this week. And um, Itavea was was uh, had a big uh, full head of steam up, and um, some of their backs look pretty silky as well. I've got Christian Lee Elefano playing at fullback, so um, mm. showing you um, exactly where their talent is there. So. I mean, I've got to say, for uh, the live streams that you can get on the Fox Sports website are, are just fantastic. The commentary from the guys at Bar TV and, and Fox has is, is, is been great. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a great product, and I've been lucky enough to see a number of the games. And a big shout-out to the work that uh, Reg and some of the guys are doing on the front page um, mm. with their match reports and team teams of the week and um, previews because um, I've got to say the coverage of the NRC is, is just second to none on our website. So, um Big shout out to those guys because it takes a lot of time and dedication. No, well done to Reg there, and um, I hope he can keep it going for a bit longer before he bursts um, or, or blows out. Uh, but yeah, look, you know, just talking about the NRC, I mean, some crazy score lines. So I think you're talking about that uh, Canberra Vikings. Was, was it 58 to 20 or something? And then I switched, I tuned into just a, a after half time, 
the uh, Rebel Rising against the North Harbour Rays. And um, it was the scoreline was already, I want to say it was like 40 to 24 or something crazy. And, um, and, it, came, and it came down to literally the last score of the game. Um, it, it was just, it was crazy stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, just really, you know, good um, attacking rugby. Uh, you, you know, I'd, I'd forgotten about some of the little, um, you know, sort of rule variations that make it, uh, you know, that incentivize people uh, to go for tries. I think the very first, I think, was it after six rounds and we only had our first... Um, uh, penalty goal. Penalty goal, just this last yeah. weekend. Um, so, yeah, some amazing stuff going on. The other thing I'd say about the coverage is, again, you know, you need Fox, but um, they are the guys who've been putting the money into it, is that the uh, highlights program, the extra time program that um, uh, both Sean, uh, Maloney. Sean Maloney and then also... Um, uh, Steve you, Hoyles. Yeah, I'm lucky you're here. Um, put on uh, on a Monday night's great as well. It's great value, just half an hour, but, but really catches you up. Can we give some credit to Steve Hoyles as well? I actually turned in, tuned in the other day and he was giving the colour commentary and he sounded really, really good. Mm. Um, maybe it's, it's I've just been spending too much time listening to Greg Martin and, and the <laughs> superb insights of Tim Horan. Um, but, but if you're listening out there, Steve, um, yeah, just doesn't talk about things he doesn't know stuff about and is able to provide some real input from his direct experience to everything he says. I mean, really, really good. He's, he's got a future there, actually. Well, I, what I also hear is that what I don't think a lot of people know, I didn't know, is that he's a bit of a one-man NRC bandwagon as well. So I think he's doing some work uh, for the ARU, basically. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, get, keeping the whole thing um, afloat, getting the whole uh, NRC bandwagon going, and that seems to involve... You know, commentating and being part of that as well. So um, he's he's another one, along with Reg, just putting a lot of effort into this whole thing, and is really happy to keep you know Greening God Rugby involved. So you would have seen the the whole uh, Shield. Um, it was the Horan Little Shield that uh, uh, you know got injected into the competition this year, and that was he was a big part of that and a big part of making Greening God Rugby because that was one of the ideas that we'd put forward. Um, keeping us involved. So big thumb, big thumbs up to Hoylesey. Um And if you don't follow him on Twitter, he's hilarious on Twitter as well. Yeah, I had I was lucky enough to have a chat with him a few weeks ago, just uh, in the course of my work. And um, I think he's doing it a couple of days a week there at the ARU as a, as a sort of conduit between the ARU and the clubs, working with the clubs, uh, the NRC teams. And um, great bloke, absolutely great bloke, just willing to talk about rugby all day, which um, I was more than happy to oblige. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it, it really feels like there's a bit more momentum behind the NRC this year um, at, at a number of levels. And, and on the field, it's just delivering some spectacular footy and throwing up, you know, as you'd hope, so, some names of some stars of the future, you know. Guys like Junior Laloifi um, up in Brisbane. I mean, Ned Hadigan, who's a second row for the, for the country, um, the country... Uh, Eagles, Eagles. Um, the New South Wales, and, and I've got to say I'm, I am cheering for the stars because um, I, I, I think, and you might see it change next year, but the um, the, the teams like ACT and, and Perth and Melbourne who have that, that 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 backing of a super team and and the infrastructure behind it, they do seem to have a bit more of a, a natural advantage. But uh, a team like the Stars, that uh, you know, even though they're from the evil empire of Sydney Uni, they they seem to have some genuine scrappers in there that. Um, that, that are making some really good headway in that comp. So um, mm. good to see, good to see um, 
a, a few different teams put, popping their hands up uh, this year um, to, to compete. Well, I mean, and, and you're completely right about how important it is. I mean, you think of the big player drain that we've got going out um, after the World Cup. This is a fant- I mean, if you're ever going to put your hand up in this competition um, and find you, you know, f- fight your way into a super uh, a super squad, this would be it, right? Um, so it's great to see that all that sort of talent coming through. And I think a lot of those guys will find themselves pretty expressed through um, to the, you know, uh, headline super rugby if they play their cards right. Yeah, and it's and it's worth noting as well that there's been a, a bit of a flow in the other direction recently as well with with guys coming back from Europe, um, which they wouldn't do if there wasn't rugby to play for more than four months of the year. Uh, mm. I'm thinking about Aiden Tua, Albert Anai, and uh, Jordan Smiler, who is a really really good player, um, and turned his back on a French contract about a month ago and decided to stick around in Australia for a bit longer and see if he can crack the Wallabies. I mean, good. You know, the NRC is winning on many fronts. Oh, that's great. Right, guys. Well, look, um, we've managed to keep it down to a power um, 30 minutes or so, and I think we've given that a good roundup. Um, look, the one thing I would say is to those guys who are listening, because I know it's the hardcore who uh, listen to the uh, podcast, always looking for talent uh, for people to write um, on the NRC, and especially with the World Cup, there's going to be plenty of rugby uh, to cover. So if you want to help out in any way, um, then, you know, stick your hand up. Uh, Talent, yeah, that, talent's probably the wrong word. Not much of that those, running around this site. <laughs> that Japan-Georgia write-up from Sunderland doesn't write itself, guys. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And we're, we're more than happy to cover um, the pie and the beer um, that it might take uh, to, to do that one. Um, so, yeah. Sites never bought me anything. <laughs> but think of the experiences it's afforded you. Uh, you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what else would I do with my Tuesday nights <laughs> exactly um, anyway guys look thanks for joining us and thanks everybody for downloading and, and listening uh, and we'll catch you next time yeah, right there right there